Hello there, and welcome to Sweet Child of Time. I'm your host, Steve Barnes, and today we are getting into episode 10 of Dark. This is the season ender of season one. This one's called the Alpha and Omega. And here she is. She is the Alpha to my Omega, the mistress of the dark. <laughs> it's Lindsay Dunn. Ahoy there, Lindsay. Ahoy, Steve. Getting biblical on on Dark this week with Alpha and Omega. I know that it's like not necessarily biblical, but that is it is in the Bible, and it's also like Greek yeah. words, and yeah, it could be different things. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the Bible definitely has a play in the writing of this show. I mean, I don't, mm-hmm. you know, let's give it up for religion. Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> That's a great way to start the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I um. Listening to last week's episode because I have to edit it, of course, so I have to listen to it carefully. Um, I didn't like all the mean things I was saying about Jonas during the Jonas and Martha Rain scene, even though I agree with myself. Um, but I was really happy this episode that uh, that Jonas, in my mind, did like a big 180, and he like really came through in this episode. He was not wooden at all. His emotions were all over the place, and I was I was really happy to see that. So sorry about last week. Here we go for this week. <laughs> Fresh start for Jonas. That's right. Yeah, and I keep saying his name wrong because I'm American. You know, <laughs> Jonas. I got to say it right. <laughs> were you loving this episode as much as I was? I, uh, you know, watching it again is a little bit of a different experience. Mm-hmm. I think. I remember, yeah, I loved this episode because of the reveals, especially the big reveal. But then when you go back and watch it, I still think it's, I think overall, strong episode, a strong season ender. But it can also be kind of frustrating because you've been you've been watching it with this particular lens, at least I was. I was always watching it with a lens of hope, you know, that, um, that, Jonas has this ideal, the idealism that he can change things, and we we love mm-hmm. that about him. And um, by the end of the episode, it just kind of continues in the cycle of bleakness and <laughs> and lack of hope, and that can that can be a hard pill to swallow for our characters. Hmm. This episode, this season finale, leaves us in a very dark place. I feel overall. Um, it's a well-written season finale, but there's there's just a lot to unpack, and mm-hmm. I like it for the writing. But and I know I remember in my first watch how depressed I was at the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. we uh, we I guess we're looking at it from different lenses because even though I have seen this before, it was um, I mean parts of it were new to me because I didn't really remember how the the Peter and Tront thing ended up. I don't remember any of that Helge stuff. Like a lot of stuff was brand new to me. Um, I don't know how, I just forgot the first time around. So I I really like the way a lot of these things wrapped up. And I almost, almost want to say that if it wasn't for the very ending when Jonas wakes up in the distant future, if you scrapped that scene completely, I can't say that the season would end satisfactory because you, you have a lot of loose ends there, especially like with Bartosh and stuff, but um, it really wraps up very nicely. And 
you said the writing and that's what I'm saying too, is the writing. Like that's the number one thing for this show for me, um, is the writing. I think, I think it's, a, I think it holds above everything else. And, uh, I would love if there was a novelization of this, uh, of this show. I'm sure that does not exist or I would have known about it by now, but, um, I really love the writing. So I think, um, the writer of the show is tell me Bo. it's Bo, correct? Or is it John? I believe, I believe Yantia is actually the main writer. The one that maps out all the plots. Okay. Um, that's her, that's her wheelhouse. So she's the one that put kind of puts everything, storyboards okay. everything, and says this is kind of how it's going to unravel. But then, of course, with Dark, you had to like cut and paste that into, like, what are we going to start with? Where are we going to start in the loop? And um, right. Yeah. So yeah, I bet it's really tough to direct. I mean, the direction is great, the editing is great, the sound design. But I really, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm a number one Yante fan then. I'm going <laughs> to I'm mm-hmm. gonna start looking mm-hmm. for more of her stuff um, besides what I already know about. Um, just because I was really taken with the writing of this last episode. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I'm ready to get into the recap because I know it's going to run long. I can already uh, kind of <laughs> sense that in my timeline. <laughs> Did you have anything you wanted to go over before we started? <laughs> No, that, I guess that's why I'm being short with my comments, because I'm like, yeah, let's get into it, because it's going to be a long night, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, All sure. right. Yeah, go ahead, Lindsay. So this episode opens on the day of Mickle's disappearance. Peter is in the parking lot of the truck stop, and it's pouring down raining, of course, as it always is in Wyndon. <laughs> And he's staring at Benny's trailer, and it looks like he would like nothing better than to visit Bernadette at this moment. But instead, he remembers his promise and drives off without getting out of the vehicle. Right. I thought this was a really interesting scene, because I knew it was, because they told us it's the night Mikkel's disappearance, so Mm -hmm. I know that Mikkel hasn't disappeared yet. I'm like, why is Peter, you know... He hasn't, we know by this point that he hasn't fooled around with Benny in like a year. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I guess he's more um, either infatuated or like really has strong feelings for Benny or something's missing mm-hmm. in his life right now. But yeah, it's obvious he wants to pay her a visit. He does not. Mm-hmm. He goes to the cabin instead, which is mm-hmm. a weird choice. Um, do you have yeah. any insight on why he might have chose to drive there? I mean, I think he had an appointment to go there. You know, they have the book that tells them. Well, at this point, he did not have the book. Do we know when they got the book? This is when they get the book from Claudia, because later on in the episode, when him and Tronte are sitting there eight days later, Tronte okay. says, yeah, everything in this book that Claudia said was going to happen has happened. And they're okay. thumbing through the book, looking at stuff. So I think at this point, they don't have the book yet. Okay. And Peter's just hanging out. I think this is a nice little bit of storytelling, just my perspective. Mm-hmm. We know that this bunker is where Helge went when he was younger. Right. This is where he hung out as a kid and he mm. found shelter and refuge. And so I guess the way you could look at it is that Peter has been handed down that 
legacy from his father. Maybe his father has brought him brought him here. So this is kind of a safe place he can go. Peter doesn't feel safe at home. Charlotte is emotionally unavailable to him. And so he's he was tempted to go visit Benny. He goes down there. He's slapping himself. He's saying Mm -hmm. the serenity prayer. He isn't ready to go home and be around other human beings right now. (laughs) So this is a place he can kind of hide out. Yeah, instead of playing army men, he slaps himself. Yeah, that makes total sense. You're right. Yeah, it's a place of, it's weird that this bunker is a place where these guys gather their thoughts and feel better. That's very interesting going forward. But yeah, okay, I see why now. Isn't it kind of typical? I don't know, like they talk about the trend of a lot of men like to isolate when they're upset or stressed out and Mm -hmm. so i just see that as an extension of that that um i mean a bunker is a place of safety right it's a bomb shelter Mm -hmm. um it's a place to go when when there's war or destruction around you and so it's a nice little i don't know symbol of this is a place of safety and even though it's kind of dirty and gross and will be eventually used as a torture chair (laughs) You know, torture room. <laughs> but you're right. Yeah, most guys do go hang out in their garage, which is also you know, grungy and dirty and stuff. I mean, I hang out in my garage sometimes by myself. Mm-hmm. You're spot on right there, Lindsay. Um, he's there with his his quiet time, his private time, <laughs> and this. Uh, what do you call it? A crack? What? There's the book, The Wrinkle in Time. It's almost like a wrinkle in time sure. appears. Yeah. I put in the recap a blob, but it isn't even that. It's almost like a fissure in in the sky that becomes. I would say like a tear in the fabric of reality. That's a good way to put it. Um, so that hole appears, that tear, and a body falls through, and it's Mads Nielsen. <laughs> um, surprise. <laughs> Big surprise. Um, it's kind of it's kind of nice to see this, you know, in a time travel show. We've been going thirty three years in the future, thirty three years in the past, and this is like, hey, eight days ago, <laughs> this happened. <laughs> um, we're getting to see, we're getting new information we didn't have before. We've been wondering what Peter's up to and all this, and why he's so upset. Mm-hmm. You know, here's the secret he's carrying. Mads is dropped right into his lap, and yeah, he. Um, checks his his badge or his ID, ID tag. He sees that it's Mads. He begins to administer CPR and he calls Tronte right away asking. I think the relationship is a little bit interesting because Peter and Charlotte, you know, they're sort of in the age group of like Ulrich right. and Katerina yeah. and Hannah. You know, those guys are all the same. So, so um, I'm like what's his relationship with Trant before um you know Peter's a therapist so right. you know maybe he's maybe he's had him for couples counseling but it's kind of interesting Peter's I'm I'm assuming Peter is younger than than Trant is what I'm saying and um yeah I guess um I'd pick up and say that first off Peter came to the exact right place at the exact right time um because he actually got to see this body fall from the sky. So you can tell by his facial expression, this is not the kind of thing he ever expected to ever, ever, ever happen. So he's just as shocked as anybody should be in this situation. 
um, it is weird that he calls Tront and he has Tront on speed dial. And I can only assume for the same reason that you um, gathered because he, Peter is like a therapist of some sort. I guess before we can get into anything else, uh, they run into a little, they get a visitor too. Right. Cla- Claudia shows up. Um, but I guess before we talked about her, mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about Trant's reaction when he arrives before Claudia gets there. Okay. Because I feel like that was kind of a remarkable scene because what have we seen about Trant so far? Um, we saw we saw cool young Trant, <laughs> but this <laughs> middle-aged Trant, you know, we knew he's, we know he had an affair. We know that he's got he acts really suspicious and he's always going out and, you know, lying about cutting the rose bushes. Um, right. So well, they had, to, they had this to, was they had to move a body though, because Claudia insists they have to move the body of Mad. So that explains, well, this right here explains one of the reasons he left in the middle of the night because um, of this. And right. I, I guess they had to get some rope or something to tie up Mads, and then they, it might have been like a multi-night situation. Um, it doesn't explain his affair with Claudia, but I think it absolutely explains his his behavior, like for the rest of this episode, and like why he's like so quiet and cryptic, and why Peter is like just can't say what's on his mind because who would believe them? I mean, <laughs> everybody would think mm. they're nuts. Yeah, I think that I guess what I'm getting at, though, is just that Trant hasn't been a sympathetic character up to this point. And it's it's moving to see his reaction to seeing his son's body. You know, he's kind of okay. has a breakdown. Yeah, and, he does. <laughs> and cries for the, for the loss of his son. This isn't we haven't seen him barely express any emotions about anything <laughs> so far. He's just been kind of lying badly. And um so this, you know, makes you kind of have a little different perspective of him. Yeah, yeah, you're right about that. Um I just kind of glossed over that, I guess, because that's just kind of the uh, the reaction that I expected and he gave it. <laughs> so I mm-hmm. didn't, I didn't really uh, question it too much, I suppose, from my perspective. Yeah. Um, well, well, with Claudia, yeah, she tells them there's a lot to explain, but they need to move the body of Maz to the place it must be found. And they don't have much time to do that. Right. So it's not just Hellgate dragging bodies around. They have to do it too, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think that is a point that I hadn't picked up on before is is like so far we've been seeing Helge and Noah doing yeah. connected with the boys and now with with Peter and Trant, you know, we had kind of assumed that it's all been Helge moving the bodies around, but in this case it's these two and they're moving the body and made sure that that it would be found the next or the next day. Right. Yeah, by Ulrich. So, yeah, oh. it's like sitting there thinking through their motives, like... I kind of get you it. You know, Noah and Noah and Claudia are supposedly kind of arch enemies and right. working against each other, but they both seem to be making sure these bodies are found 
perhaps for different reasons, but I think that's something to consider as well. Well, I think it's interesting that like Claudia took the body of Madge because we know that the other two bodies of Eric and Yazin were dumped at in 1953. So mm-hmm. probably Mads would have been dumped along with them in 1953 as well. And Claudia mm-hmm. stopped that from happening by making sure that this body was found in 2019 in order yeah. to, I guess, in order to keep the time loop complete. And she put it like in a really obvious spot that, you know, any hiker would find it. The person that found the body was Ulrich. And we now, we know that, that it sent Ulrich in a loop of going back to the past and trying to stop the murder. Um, so it's like the power of Claudia is becoming more clear. <laughs> sure and is. It, it really makes me question her motives and her, yeah. It's like, it, we've been sort of like Noah, he's the evil guy, but right. now it's like, well, is Claudia that much better? I mean. Well, I don't, I don't know. Just gathering from what I got in this episode, I, I definitely hold Noah like in the worst spot. And I don't see any indication at this point that Claudia is part of like team evil. It seems like she's more neutral and she's part of this alignment that has helped these time machines come to be. So I guess I'm not seeing her evil motives at this point. Um, it just seems to me that she's just a, another time traveler that has a part to play. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a motive, though. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to know. I just think I'm like, what's her motive? You know, what's her? Is she just a yeah. selfless individual that wants to help everybody? Mm. Probably yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> so then... November 12th, eight days after Mikkel's disappearance, Jonas is in bed, an arm comes around him, and this isn't like a sexy arm, it's <laughs> Mikkel. <laughs> he looks so cute though, and like he's just smiling so nicely at, at Jonas here. Yes, <laughs> little Mikkel is just staring at him. And then Jonas wakes up and he decides not to take his medication. But he just looks at the he looks at the nightstand and he sees the globe light and the radiation detector. Now he had made a decision uh, in the last episode. Last episodes mm-hmm. he had been sort of making a decision that he was going to let this whole thing go and <laughs> try to like distance himself from Marta. So it kind of seems like he's questioning that decision here. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I can see that, especially with the presence of Michael Mickle um, next to Michael. him. Yeah. That's true. It doesn't show up as his dad this time. It's like cute little Mickle just staring at him with big brown eyes. <laughs> Help me. I mean, it did, it did like make me jump my first watch, but like the second, third, fourth watches, it's, he's just looks like nice Mickle. So mm-hmm. no reason to get upset, Jonas. Yeah. Then Marta is in a room with Bartosh and she has confessed to Bartosh what's hap- what's happened. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I guess at this point, she's just so upset with Jonas and what he said to her that right. she's now ready to <laughs> take comfort in the one person that's been reaching out to her. Um, so she says that she hasn't, she barely recognizes herself anymore. And he gives her a hug and tells her everything is okay, which reminded me a lot of his dad, what he, what his dad does oh, yeah. to his mom. 
Anything else about this scene? Uh, just it's obvious Bartosh is playing the role of the other guy, and I think he realizes that. Um, you know, he now knows why Jonas stood him up. Jonas stood him up. He knows about the kiss, so mm-hmm. he knows that Marta and Jonas aren't together. So he's like, "Oh well, I guess it's me now." I don't know. Um, he has anger against Jonas, but I think probably he's not feeling like he's the number one guy right now. Well, yeah, that's, that's obvious. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. That's me to point out the obvious to you. <laughs> His hair looks good though. Always dude. He's a stylish guy. <laughs> His hair is kind of like um, young Trance. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. He reminds me so much of an old friend of mine, Jay, um, who has since passed away, but he was such a good friend to me. And so I see that in Bartosh and like, I want to see all the good stuff. Cause you know, Bartosh isn't, isn't murdering anybody at this point. And he's just, you yeah. know, kind of playing the typical teenage kid who doesn't do the right thing all the time. So yeah, I want to like Bartosh is my point. And I'm kind of not liking him <laughs> when I should be. Well, it's just like, it's like anybody, when you fixate on one thing that you're not getting, you get unhappy, but it's like, Bartosh is, you know, he's from a wealthy family. Mm-hmm. He's got nice clothes. Um, he has a really sweet video game system. <laughs> he could be happy with what he have, but he's like, I mean, he's feeling betrayed by his best yes. friend. He's being feeling betrayed by the girl he has the hots for. Um, but you do kind of, I don't know, I feel a little bad for Bartosh in the same way that I felt bad for Hannah in that no one likes feeling like the second choice. Right. Um, yeah. We then cut to Charlotte, who is checking on Helge, and she learns he has run off, and Ulrich hasn't been back, so she kind of says, well, has Ulrich come back to visit? Um, usually Helge comes back in a few hours, but this time it's different. He's been gone for quite a while. Yeah. And this is something that he does a lot, according to the nursing staff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the way that the way she worded, um, Ulrich's interaction with Helge was, you know, he was roughing up Helge as if he had something to do with y'all's missing child case. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the yeah. nurse thought thinks that whole prospect that Helga could have anything to do with that is just absurd because he's dement, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Then Helga wakes up in the deer stand and it's 1986. And this is the same deer stand that Jonas woke up in. Yep. And um, it kind of just clarifies for us, I think, that. Well, we get a better sense of maybe what he's there to do. Right, sure. And we know like what he's close to as well. Yeah. So then Jonas is talking with Inez and trying to gather what she knows. And he figures that she knows quite a bit. <laughs> um, he calls Mikkel the boy from the future, which I thought was interesting. Like, he doesn't say Mikkel or my father. Um, you know, he says the boy from the future. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting too, how Jonas got that phrase. I don't know where he got that phrase from. So um, I think we get a little insight into Inez here that she suspected things, but um, she really just thought he was a depressed little boy that wasn't really able to express what had happened to him. Sure. And so he, she just kind of tried to help him forget. Yeah, that makes sense too. I mean, how would she have any indication that any, that he was from the future? I mean, there is no indication. There's no clues. He didn't have anything to like hand her to blow her mind. You know what I mean? Like, I think eventually she figured it out, but at this stage of their relationship, she would have no way of, (laughs) there's like no proof or no indication at all that he's anything Mm -hmm. but just a, you know, a lost child. Yeah. I think this scene is one of my favorites because it really aggravates me. (laughs) And it has to do, it has everything to do with Jonas. I mean, Inez is acting, Inez is really acting exactly like we thought she would. She's, she's along, she's in the side of who am I to play God and um, kind of like, you never know what God will do mm-hmm. with with things, and maybe there's hope and all that. It's 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 very much like part of a Christian worldview, I would say, of like um, good can come out of anything. And so um, she didn't see it as helpless, but he's kind of like, why didn't you do anything to stop <laughs> this? And he mentions like you could have saved Mickle. Um, but then, but his comments really make you realize he's really thinking about himself. That's right. And he's upset about a lot of things. <laughs> and he's like, I kiss my aunt and my dad is doing this. My mom is doing this. And I have these grandparents now. And he makes this statement that everything, everybody's okay, but me. Right. Which I think is wild <laughs> because <laughs> yes. nobody is okay. <clears throat> Yeah, in your recap, you you lay out a bunch of examples and pretty much everybody has something going on that's very much not okay. <laughs> and in Jonas's eyes, every, everybody is fine except for him. Whereas I mm-hmm. think that if everybody else were to be asked, you know, how's Jonas? They would probably say, he's fine. You know, his his father passed away or, you know, about four, four months ago, but he, he seems like he's coping okay. You know, Jonas on the outset probably appears fine to them as well, maybe, as much as they appear fine to him. You know what I mean? Yeah. He what just a, takes bike rides and... <laughs> yeah. Like, from an outsider's perspective, he's just a really, you know, internal kid. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you were saying you were you were mad. I'm going to just, just butt in real quick before we get mm-hmm. further. That I was mad at Jonas when he said that um, Ina's didn't do anything to help that she should have saved Mickle. Jonas, mm-hmm. she did. She, she did save Mickle. <laughs> I mean, she helped him more than anybody else. So don't yell yeah. at Enos. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I mean, I think I just saw it as interesting that that people do tend, tend to do this. They kind of see the world from their perspective only. Yeah. 
They're like, my life sucks and everybody else is fine, which is rarely <laughs> true. Like they say everybody, I hate sayings like that, but they say everybody's fighting a silent battle. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, yeah, Oryx in prison and, <laughs> and Katarina knows her husband's cheating on her. It's like everybody's life is pretty rough in Wyndon right now, but he's he's thinking mainly about himself even though he also i guess he's also thinking about mickle but you know he's mostly aware of how this has impacted him and how kind of sick it all is um so yeah in on i see you know inez you're like don't yell at her but on <laughs> the other but on the other hand it does seem like she sort of hoped it would all go away um, she did help Mikkel, you know, she was the one that reached out to to help him, and she did that for a kind reason, but, yeah. She was also paying the electric bill, too. I mean, <laughs> we know that now, that was her house, so... Um, and she also shows, she shows Jonas the letter. That's pretty interesting. Exactly. You know, the letter yeah. he burned. That was, that's a great, I almost forgot about that point of this scene. Yeah. That's probably the, one of the key points of this scene. So Lindsay, I'll let you <laughs> continue. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know. I just, I think that it's, she brings, she shows in the letter, we mentioned how he burned the letter. Mm -hmm. So he, he says, this is impossible and she's like what do you mean he's like i burned it um so there you go proof of time travel right there but i mean only Jonas can see it i don't right. i don't know if ina's really registered that fact i mean i mean i think by this point she probably is on board with the time travel thing like growing up with mickel and as mm -hmm. michael grows up and then as young mickel is born down the street um, we don't see any of that, of course, but I kind of get the sense that she that she's aware now <laughs> that mm -hmm. he was from the yeah. future all along, even before Jonas showed up at her doorstep today. Yeah. Um, well, the next scene is is her with with Mikkel in 1986. Did you want to say anything else about the Jonas conversation before we move into that? Um, just the, the only other note I have here is, uh, what is normal? Because Jonas is just wants everything to go back to normal. So what is <laughs> yes. normal? What, how, what exactly do you want? Jonas? <laughs> do you want a new dad? I mean, <laughs> what is yeah. this? There is nothing normal about Wyndon, I think is what we need. You yep. know, and I guess to... before we go to, um, Inez and Nickel, we should take a quick break, Lindsay. Okay. All right. We'll be right back. Inez and Mikkel in 1986. Mm -hmm. Hey, everybody loves Mikkel's magic tricks. Yeah. So we get to see <laughs> we get to see this again. Inez, the same trick he showed his dad, where you hide an object under two cups, and he's also talking about Houdini and mm -hmm. how how he wanted to be a magician, and um, you know she asks him if. He's also wants to be a magician and he says he does, but the magic he wants to do is not possible because he wants to wake up. God, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's this Master Zhuang's paradox where a person dreams he's a butterfly and wakes up 
now he's not sure if he's a person who dreamt he was a butterfly or a butterfly who dreamt he is a person. And which are you? And Mickle says he is both. Of course he says that. He's a, <laughs> he's a little scamp. <laughs> what else would he say here? Um, I like that she brought up the, um, that cool paradox. I, I was not aware of that, um, that phrase or paradox. So it's kind of cool that she is. Yeah, this seems like the kind of thing that would appeal to him, the kinds of yes. conversations he would have with his dad. Yep. But it's a, actually a very sad, um, I like it too, but I feel very sad when I watch this scene because his face is so sad. Um, yeah. And just the, the, just the thought that little Mickle, um, this is how he grew up, that you know, here he's what eight, nine, ten. I can't remember how old he's supposed to be here, but from from this for for thirty three years, he was kind of like, "Is this real life?" Right. Was my life in the past the real life, or is this actually the real life? And I was dreaming that other life. Yeah, it it's a real mind blower, and he's a he has a real active imagination as it is. So mm -hmm. his mind is probably real and more so than the average person's would be in this situation. Yeah. It's just going to make me depressed if I think about it too much. So let's go on to 1953. Oh, yes. This is actually, that's actually one of my, and I think your favorite scenes. Yeah. Of, yeah. 1953, <laughs> baby. Rock and roll in <laughs> Winden. <laughs> we have Auric having his mugshot taken. Right. With Egon overseeing the whole thing. And um, Egon tells him his name is Egon Tiedemann. And Ulrich just begins to laugh, and and he quotes the lyrics from Creator's Pleasure to Kill. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a this is a loop. This these lyrics they keep quoting these lyrics to each other. Mm -hmm. My only aim is to take many lives. The more, the better I feel. And Egon says, are you a Satanist? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. It's like, it's, yeah. Um, That's no, Egon I'm for a, you. <laughs> Ulrich says, no, I'm a cop. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then Egon's asking him about the missing boys and Ulrich is like, no, I stopped. The, I stopped the murders. Um, if you let me out, I can prove it. Um, yeah. I didn't kill those boys. I saved them. That doesn't mm -hmm. sound good. It sounds like you killed them. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do with Helge? Yeah. And um, they're going to lock him up because he's not giving. They want to know where Helge is. And Ulrich is like, no, he's he must still be alive. And um, right. so then he ends up verbally assaulting Egon about his future as a drunkard. His wife will leave him. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if <laughs> maybe Ulrich's words here resonated with Egon and he was like, hmm, maybe I'll become an alcoholic. 
<laughs> and have troubles with my wife. Um, obviously, that wasn't the case. I, we don't see Egon having troubles at this point in the show. It looks like he's mm-hmm. just a you know a family man who's also on the job a lot. But yeah, I love how he reached over to Satanism real quick. And it's funny that these lyrics are the lyrics that that transgress time because although I'm a big creator fan, like these, this is not a great like set of lyrics. You know, it just, mm. it's just, um, I guess it's just the, the phrase along with what's happening in Winden right now just makes Egon really uneasy. Yeah. So it makes, it, it, yeah, I, this, this stuff blows my mind kind of because I'm like, okay, did 1986 Helge, uh, sorry, Egon remember the, this interaction with Ulrich when he hears I those think, lyrics or is it like subconscious you know like because he doesn't say like I heard that from a man once when I you know he doesn't say that to young Ulrich he doesn't but I think he remember he associates those lyrics with old Ulrich and like this you know this possibly satanic guy and then when he hears the same lyrics coming from this young boy's room like 33 years later he's like you know, it's kind of like sense memory, like, or smell memory. Like when you smell something and it takes you back and you have that same feeling that you had when you first smelled it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, he's hearing these lyrics and he's like, this is obviously the first time that Egon has actually heard these lyrics in a song. So mm-hmm. it probably really took him back to that time. And that's when he starts being really weird to Ulrich too. Yeah. <laughs> but this is such, um, I don't know, poetic justice. I mean, for Ulrich, he's like, of <laughs> yeah. course, of course, like it's gonna be you. You're the one that's gonna be here questioning me. The, the, my, the bane of my existence is here once <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah, the music is amazing too in this scene. It's like so evil, <laughs> like roll. <laughs> yeah, the sound design in um, all of this is just mm-hmm. out of the world. Ben Frost just does it. I uh, think like later on I write his name during a scene <laughs> because all I could think about was the music in the background during it and how perfect it was with the scene. And we'll get to it. Mm-hmm. I'll say it when it comes. Yeah. <laughs> and then we move into 2019. Jonas arriving at Wyndon High School and Bartosh is waiting for him in the rain with his hoodie up. Mm-hmm. And he's super pissed and confronts Jonas and tells him, like, hey, I've been such a good friend to you and covered for you. Mm-hmm. And this is how you repay me. And Jonas is kind of hangdog until Bartosh insults his dad. And um, yeah, and then they end up having a tussle. And a wet tussle. Marta. <laughs> comes outside and uh, tries or tries to break them up and does break them up. Yeah. And then Jonas just sees her and just runs away, basically. Well, Bartosh tells him to get out of here. Is like Bartosh yeah. like in charge of the school? <laughs> That's what I was wondering. He's like, get out of here. Never of, come he's back. He's the prince of Wind. His, his mother's the queen. He's the prince of Winden. <laughs> I guess so. Um, yeah, this scene is uh, is rough. The boys are no longer friends anymore, obviously. Yeah. 
uh, this scene really reminded me of uh, of Zoolander um, because I don't know if you've have you seen Zoolander? It's been a while, but yes. You must remember the scene when they were they were a bunch of wet boys at the gas pump having a great time, and they were like all wet. <laughs> That's what this reminded me of because it's like you know two really well dressed you know nice boys all wet rolling around on the ground and. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it's just how nice they looked and their designer clothes is what really did it for me. Yeah. I I don't know. I really like this scene too and I can't even really say why, but I just like how they filmed it. It's yeah. raining. Yona, we're following him. He walks up to the school. Bartosh is kind of that um out of focus. Yep. Um and then and then they move closer and it's it's got a very like every, a lot of things in this show feel larger than life, but you know, they've placed us in this world with mythology. So it, it almost makes Jonas and Bartosh out to be these epic heroines <laughs> that are mm-hmm. like fighting in the el- the weather elements. You know, they're <laughs> like gods that have come down okay. to earth. Yeah. I'll go with you on that one. Yeah, sure. <laughs> he, um, they love to uh, have like makeup faces, like have like scars on people's faces. And so now Jonas for the rest of the episode, he's got a beat up face too. Thanks to Bartosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Bartosh, you, you planted a good sucker there. <laughs> he was, Bartosh was winning the fight. I hate to say it, that after watching it multiple times, Bartosh was absolutely winning. If Martha hadn't stepped in, it would have been Bartosh. Mm-hmm. So time. All that, all that, I guess, video games do help train you. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so now the stranger is entering the shop of H.G. Tanhouse, and Tanhouse shows him that he has fixed the machine, and there are now two versions of the same machine. Tanhouse says it's the same machine um, in two different conditions. Um, I was trying to puzzle my brain, trying to figure out how these two machines mm-hmm. came to be. And I guess we don't know at this point. Yeah. I couldn't follow the, uh, the, the logistic path of it. So hopefully we'll find out in season two. Yeah. But I did really well, love. He, hmm? Sorry, go ahead. No, I, I just going to say the same thing you said already. I loved how one of them was like bright and shiny and new. One of them is old and sitting on the shelf for a long time. They have differences in them. And like Tanhouse learns from those differences. So when I had um, when I had written my original recap, I thought that these were two different machines, and I actually got a comment that told me, "No, it's not. It's actually the same machine um, in two different conditions." So that oh. was a point I had to be um, I had to be clarified on. Okay. But um, like the letter, the letter got burnt, but then it shows up and it's new. The machine got old and then it shows up and it's new. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and remember the speech about, about when we see, we can see things, um, at the beginning and the end, of course. we see them in two different forms. Yes. <laughs> the one you didn't like. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I'll, I, <laughs> don't put words in my mouth now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, the Tanhouse—that's what Tanhouse says here. He's like, "What if we could see? Um, we what if we could see things at the beginning and the end?" And he shows him the two machines. So this is like an yeah. example of that. 
just like we had Helge in three different versions, and he mentions that, um, you know, the future, the past informs the future, the future influences the past. If the stranger hadn't bought, brought this machine in, um, he wouldn't have... Right. He wouldn't have built it or been able to figure out how it right. worked. If he didn't have yeah. that machine he brought in, then he wouldn't have had that old one to pull off the shelf and compare it to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes total. Uh, doesn't make total sense, but <laughs> it's clicking. Yeah. It's clicking. I should say. Well, it's it's not so much that it makes sense, but it's kind of like oh, it connects to that idea that we yes. had that was sort of uh, sort of left lingering in the air, and now the pieces kind of fall into place about why it's. Th- it's also like Bo and Yantia explaining to us how their time travel works, you know, how they're choosing to represent time travel, which is great because so many people, so many writers struggle to right. um, to do things without being like exposition city and they just <laughs> put it as part of a plot. So I love that. I do too. Yeah. And then we find out um, there's, you know, we find out the cell phone talks to the machine and that there are these valves that you know we don't don't know what to do with these valves and then the stranger pulls out the vials and the tubes and we learn that this stuff is cs-137 a radioactive isotope of cesium and this is what was in the royal those yellow barrels and Tanhouse gets all excited and says, it makes a Higgs field. <laughs> I mean, I'm excited too. This is like the most kick-ass scene ever. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. It's just that it's just so funny because he's such a science nerd, you know. Um, <laughs> these science nerds just kind of like nerding out about stuff. All the different time periods have like affected this machine. Like if that, if that accident hadn't happened in the uh, nuclear power plant, then they would not have this cesium-137. Mm-hmm. And if Ulrich hadn't left his jacket there in the shop, then they wouldn't have the cell phone to like make right. it work. And if Claudia hadn't waltzed in, then they wouldn't have the blueprints to make it work. So, I mean, I just love how like the future and the past is like informing the, uh, the making of this machine. And it's kind of like he is like, what? It's not quite working yet because of these valves, and I don't know what they do. Well, the stranger just happened to have the stuff there, um, like the missing piece, and now and now the machine works. Um, so it's like everything coming together. Um, what do they call that? Kismet or like you know, fate? All the stars align at once. Yeah, yeah. synchronicity. The cesium like expands in mass and becomes this little mini black hole. And um, the stranger says, why did you decide to help me? And he mentions that he has a feeling that his whole life has boiled down to this one moment that he's part of a puzzle and that he shouldn't stop anything from happening. And um, it's it's that that old like predeterminism Mm -hmm. slash fate versus free choice. Tanhouse is like, this is my role, so I'll do it. And the stranger is more like, I'm going to try to change something. Yeah, they make it very clear, <laughs> like in just like two sets of dialogue, that that's how Tanhouse is. You know, he goes with what's going to happen, and Jonas is 
or the stranger here, spoiler alert, <laughs> is all about, you know, changing things. He even says so at the end here. I hope it's going to be better now. Um, mm-hmm. Which is. And there was that. Hmm? Um, I was going to say there was also that previous speech that Tanhouse had about, I feel like this, um, I used to have dreams, but now I know I'm here for a reason. Uh, so he yeah. like kind of says it twice yep. in different ways. Yeah. I mean, I love when he said that he's, um, his exact words were, I'm part of a puzzle that I neither understand nor have any influence over. And I don't know that those, that phrase like really struck me personally. Cause I liked it a lot. Um, yeah. Well, it's similar to what Inez said. It's yeah, um, exactly. Let yeah. things play out. Jonas. So Charlotte calls Peter again about his father and does her signature <laughs> entry where she just calls him and dives right in with the question. And then Peter tries to talk to her and she jumps off the phone quickly. <laughs> uh, She's th- in and out. I'm glad this is the last time we have to see this. Because, <laughs> I mean, yeah, me and Heather were laughing watching this. Like, oh my God, she's doing it again. How, <laughs> is she ever going to stop yeah. to listen to Peter ever? Now that we know he has something really important to say, we really want him to say it. And yeah. she's not letting him. But I, th- I think I made this point to Heather when we were talking after this episode that um, it almost kind of works in a way because if, he had told her it would have it would have opened up a whole different line of questioning and a whole different line of thought and she might not have made the discovery that she's about to make if she Hmm. had if peter had told her about it you know what i mean yeah well peter seems this is what i will say for peter he's figured out the best way to converse with charlotte send her a text (laughs) <laughs> that's right that's right he does do that at the end it took him all ep- all season to figure that out <laughs> she can't um i mean but but like yeah he says he, he did keep saying i need uh, to tell you something I need to tell you something he did try that a few times but his text just says come to the cabin we need to talk right but it's it's a declarative <laughs> statement but it, i was like yeah, you can't talk to her on the phone. You just have to send her a text like, come to cabin. <laughs> <laughs> Very, yeah. All right. So then in 1986, middle-aged Helge comes to the cabin and finds old Helge sitting on his steps. Odd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and old Helge is trying to tell younger Helge, you know, you need to stop. Um, He is using you, his promises are lies, he isn't the chosen one and you aren't the chosen one. And they're sort of checking each other out and they Mm -hmm. notice each other's ears. And old Helge starts to get forceful about it and start almost, he's almost doing a Noah thing. He like grabs him and hugs him. Yeah. I'll pull you in real tight and won't let you go. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's that's where Helge learned that, right? I mean, he learned it from Noah. Probably. He, know, he knows that's how to get himself to listen. Maybe so. You might be right. I was thinking this takes place just a couple days after 
or maybe the next day after Helge and Noah had that interaction with the screwdriver and Helge yeah. was really conflicted. And so now mm. we have old Helge showing up to pretty much confirm all of his fears, right? Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's hard to know how to read this because he was already feeling conflicted about it, but as soon as hey, as soon as he tries to tell himself <laughs> kind of what he feared, he's like, "No, I'm not ready to listen to it yet." And he runs off. He does run off. Yes, runs away. <laughs> yeah. Instead of confronting. Um and yeah, I thought it was interesting too. his words, of course, you know, he's saying you have to stop, you have to stop. And he's talking about, you know, Noah on the surface, stop messing around with that guy, stop doing what you're doing. But then I almost wonder if he might have meant literally, you have to stop. <laughs> when you're in your car at a stoplight, you have to stop <laughs> and don't move anymore. That's deep, Steve. <laughs> it is. I'll talk about it more when we get there. <laughs> Jonas is in his dad's studio. So he's come from Inez, their conversation. He's in his dad's studio. And this scene, I, you know, I had to, it took me a, a few times to understand this. He was looking up at the skylight and I was like, okay, why are you looking at the skylight, dude? And then I realized <laughs> oh, that's where his dad hung himself. Yes. Um, so he glances up and then he comes downstairs with, and Hannah is there, his mom sitting at the table. And she asks him where he's been, and he tells her he got into a fight, and then hugs her and says everything will be okay. It's like the Bartosh, <laughs> the Bartosh slash Alexander <laughs> method again. Um, this <laughs> this scene kind of cracked me up because I was like, "All right, I bet you're all wet, um, Jonas," and his raincoat was all dirty. Like, and he like gives Hannah this big hug, and I'd be like, "Ugh!" Like. Back up. <laughs> uh, but she hugs him back, and um, it looked like she learned how to hug this time. You know, Definitely. it wasn't as awkward for her. <laughs> she did hug back. There was no hesitation this time. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's, it dawned on me, too, that, you know, when you said he was looking up at the skylight, looking at the beam, um, I think it's at this point he, he makes a decision Mm -hmm. to not just let things lie, to make an active role in changing the future. Yeah. And he lies, says he's going to school, that he forgot something, but we know that's not where he's going. Right. Yeah. I mean, this whole episode, you know, he gets the vision of Mikkel. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to like, I was I was counting on my finger, so I think it was kind of loud. But he was <laughs> like, he sees Mikkel and kind of wants to help him. He talks to his grandmother and is thinking, again, mentions, you could have helped Mikkel. And he's like, nobody else is gonna help this kid, so now I'm gonna try to do it. Yeah, to stop that um, suicide from happening. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I was looking at this scene as a parent, as a parent of a 17-year-old, because I think Jonas is about 17, I would guess. Maybe he's 15, but I don't know, in that range somewhere. I was wondering what I, how I would feel like if um, if my daughter Charlotte came home and she had her face beat up and she was like, I, I was like, you got in a fight? Who with? It doesn't matter. She tells me it doesn't matter. And then she gives me a big hug and then she says everything's going to be OK. And then she leaves the house. <laughs> I, I would be alarmed. I would think she was having a bipolar episode and 
<laughs> it would not be comforting. It would be alarming. <laughs> so I think Hannah should be alarmed here is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, but she these days she's just sitting around smoking, sadly. I mean, that's how she's spending her time. She doesn't have the energy to to be like you, Steve. <laughs> be like me. <laughs> you know, you're you've got your wits about you. You're like uh, you got, you're like I would be a good parent to my child. Hannah's not in a place to be a good parent to her child right now. Well, I guess if that's the bar, then yeah, I've I've, I've jumped over that bar. <laughs> So then we're in, still in 2019, Tront and Peter are in the bunker. And Peter mentions that Charlotte asked him about the cabin and Helge and what happened in 1953. And then Tront says, just a few more hours and Mads will live. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, they seem to be talking about Claudia. They say like, do you believe her? And right. they seem to be talking about Claudia who has made them some promises. And then, um, and then Peter is like, do you believe her? And Trant is like, everything she said would happen according to this book. And he's like, points at the book, like very mm -hmm. emphatically. Yes. Um, so it, it's kind of like, yeah, like I, I trying to piece this too. It's like, okay, so you think that Mads is going to live after a few hours, things are going to change somehow. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't get why he thinks Mads is going to be alive. I get that. I just, they're following this book. And like we saw before, like at 917, the lights started flickering. And the book indicated that at 917, the lights would flicker. I remember that scene really well. And mm -hmm. this is what they're going by. So everything is lining up with this book. Yeah. I wonder if it says in the book somewhere something about Mads because. Yeah. Well, this I, is what I mean about me, me questioning Claudia because she seems to have made oh, them these promises okay. that Mads is going to live. And that is why they're down there doing what they're doing. She's like somehow convinced them that we need to help his body to be found and then. Um, let things play out and then everything will be okay. Well, I kind of, that all that stuff kind of tracks actually. Like Claudia is kind of right in that respect. And if she promised Tronte that Mads would be back, that of course is deviant. That's not right. We don't know if she did that or not though. That seems to be what Tront believes. Maybe she did like some double speak or something. And like Tront was like, can you bring my son back? And she was said something like, we could make the past right. <laughs> you know? All will be well. <laughs> right. All will be well. <laughs> yeah, we didn't see them actually have the conversation with her. But I guess I, I do wonder what she's told them. Sure. And yeah, obviously, Tront thinks that after today, everything will be new which is a really neat concept, mm -hmm. like that we've just been retreading things. And then like at one particular date, that's when new things can happen. That's when we have opportunity. I, I love that, that Trump was like holding on to that hope. Mm -hmm. Well, this is what Bartosh also said of Noah. Everything you said would happen, mm -hmm. happened. They had that same book. I guess it was the same book. Yeah. Um, 
Is it is it like the machine where they have it's the same book oh. in two different conditions? Well, yes, because when Noah has the book, it's all nice and new looking. And when they're having it here, like I think one of them says like there's a bunch of pages ripped out. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, which means they only have part of the information. Yeah. So, um, 1986, Helge and Noah have one of their talks where Helge questions Noah and Noah talks Helge down. <laughs> Helge is really easily led, right? <laughs> I mean, this is this is the person he looks to for guidance. Father yeah. Noah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. He says, if there is no God, why do we believe a lie? And then Noah tells Helge a story um, about a man that lived with his family, a boarder. He used to talk in his sleep, but one day Ooh. he clearly said, nothing is in vain, not a single breath, not a single step, not a word not pain, an eternal miracle of the one. Yes. And he's basically saying that your pain is who made you, who, your pain has made you who you are today. And, uh, but this, we also see like Jonas, we see Marta and Katerina, we right. see Hannah, Egon, HG. And so we're also thinking about their pain. Right. Yeah. I got a few things about this scene, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, Go ahead. This was the scene that, and I've, I wrote down here Ben Frost, because this is the scene where I noticed the music like predominantly. And then I also wrote down Noah, because I remember like every time we see Noah, we get this like, we get these cool sound cues. And in mm -hmm. this instance, we get like some really, really cool, like deep cues Anytime when they start mentioning um, Jonas and when they say who's next and he says Jonas and then the music does something it, it's never done before and it has like this really neat effect to it, um, which, you know, when they said that I wasn't expecting this because even though it's a rewatch, I'd forgotten about this. So, yeah, it made my stomach like drop like <laughs> when they said Jonas and this music accompanying it. Um, yeah, I think I was complaining to some on another podcast about how I hate when like movies like will play with my emotions like with music cues and stuff and here is dark doing it <laughs> mm -hmm. and I don't hate it I love it is it the one where he's like is it that one or is it, it does like a lot of cutting in and cutting out so it's like yeah. a lot of reverb happening yeah. um what else did I have about this scene I also had Okay, he's saying that nothing is wasted, um, nothing is in vain, every breath, every pain. So I wish he would remind Helge that it's not just the pain that has made him who it is, it's everything that's made him who it is. Every emotion, his like doubts, his insecurities, his happiness and his joy. I mean, every breath is supposed to count here according to this guy that lived above Noah. So I, I wish that they would take that into account too, but he sends, tends to just focus on the pain is what made Helge what he is. And I didn't like that mm -hmm. perspective. Yeah. And it also um, makes you wonder who that guy was. He has to mm -hmm. play a part in this show, <laughs> I would hope. Yep. Yeah. And I have two contenders. The first contender is Jonas, of course, because when he starts talking about the person with sad eyes, they immediately cut to Jonas. So you're like, oh, is he talking about Jonas? 
But then I'm thinking, well, maybe he's talking about himself. Maybe it was like himself in the past, like his adult self that encountered his younger self and was kind of guiding him even back then. I don't know if we ever get the answer to who this person was that lived above Noah, but I'm just guessing it's one of those two guys. Mm-hmm. Does he say sad eyes here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I need to go back and, and look for that because somebody uh, was reading a different recap and somebody mentioned a line about sad eyes, but I watched this scene several times and I didn't see him say that, so I need I need to revisit that. Okay. Well, he said it in German, so I read it. So <laughs> that I makes see. a difference. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe, or, you know, it could have been in the version that me and Heather watched because we watched it in English. Maybe the English person said sad eyes, but maybe the... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah, um, yeah that's, a, that's a good point. I'll go back and listen to the scene in English. <laughs> <laughs> um, one other little thing I wanted to point out that I thought was really cool about this scene is when y- Egon, they show Egon, he looks, opens the little window and looks at Ulrich. And in 1986, Egon did that too. He opened the little window and looked at teenage Ulrich. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And Man. I'm like, I was just like, dang, the show is so amazing. <laughs> he had him in his clutches twice. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I just like, it's these little tidbits that, that keep me up, keep me up at night, you know, yeah. <laughs> thinking about dark. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So then 1986, Jonas comes out of the cave he is walking enthusiastically. He's made a decision. He's going to go get Mikkel. <laughs> no walking one can with stop him now. Yep. <laughs> yes. Um, he goes to the hospital and, oh, we, we go to the hospital before Jonas goes there. The CPS worker comes to pick up Mikkel for the children's home. And she tries to speak to him, but he's on the bed, unresponsive. And Inez makes a decision right then and there that she wants to adopt Mikkel and take custody of him while the adoption is being processed. Good call. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's like, he likes me. I like him. I have a yeah. house. Case closed. And I agree mm-hmm. with her. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Now we get a scene with young Charlotte. Yes, this is where I thought we were heading. Yeah, Charlotte's in the woods, sketching the dead birds, practicing (laughs) to catch serial killers, not be a serial killer. That's right, Um, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Because she wants to bring them back to life, so she's a good person. (laughs) Yeah. Jonas asks, what year it is? It seems like one of his favorite questions he tends to ask. A lot of our characters do. And... She wants to know if he's from there. He says no, but he's come to bring someone back from the dead. She wants to know if he can bring back the birds, and he says no, because you have to do it when they are young. Yes. <laughs> and then she she says, you're weird, or you're crazy, or something. <laughs> Both are appropriate. <laughs> he is weird yeah. and crazy. <laughs> But I like this scene for two reasons, because first off, she's dressed like Helge. That's the first thing I meant uh, noticed is she's dressed just like old Helge. And then also that we have the dead birds again, except for 
yeah, she's drawing them, just like I said, you know, like a, a cool artist would do. And she also has a little bit of pity for them because Jonas is talking about bringing back the dead. And she's like, how about these birds? It'd be great if they were alive. So, yeah, she's not a psycho. She's just an artist. So you're saying you're saying Charlotte is just like old Helge? She's dressed like old Helge. Yeah, because of like the hat and everything. Yeah, the oversized jacket, the, the stocking <laughs> cap, um, the pants. It's like the exact same wardrobe choice. <laughs> mm hmm. That is cool. Yeah, yeah we never just, meet her parents. Uh, I guess not. Yeah. Wait, Charlotte Doppler. No, we don't. She's not. Do we know her maiden name yet? It might be on the dark wiki, but I don't have it in front of me. I bet her parents were cool. That's all I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> so then in 2019, Charlotte is older Charlotte. Is right. in front of a machine at work. I guess she's studying old newspaper clippings, and she finds a story about Helge, and then um, finds the mugshot taken of Ulrich. the The headline reads, "Is this man a child murderer?" Yeah, this is this is a wonderful scene too. A great picture of Ulrich and all his glory. <laughs> And obviously they don't know his name. He didn't reveal his name at all because they just call him did this man. So mm -hmm. he didn't give anything up at all. Even after he was beat down, he didn't tell him nothing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. aren't you, this scene was probably like in a library, right? Isn't this like microfish or microfilm or something they're looking at here? It is, but you know, I'm not, I'm like, I didn't jot this down. I, I thought they had records like this at work, but you think she was at the library? This is, that's the only place I've seen those machines is in libraries. <laughs> and I mean, I've been in, I've been in like 911 centers and police offices and things like that. I've never seen mm -hmm. one of these old fat, I mean, maybe they have it in the basement. I haven't been in the basement. <laughs> I mean, I think she was just looking for information about young Helge maybe? <clears throat> yeah, that's exactly what she was doing because she had like the information about Helge's like car accident on the board. And I think that's what she was, that was her key word was Helge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or Helg. We should be calling him Helg because that's what they call him in the show. <laughs> but we always say Helge. Well, um, yeah, Charlotte is surprised. As surprised as Charlotte gets. <laughs> 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 Nothing seems to throw her very much. Except for Katarina and old pictures of Ulrich. <laughs> Katarina and occasionally her daughter's comments, her daughter's sassy comments. Right. Yep. That's right. Yeah. That's when she came out. The That's when we see the most um, vivid Charlotte is when she's talking to her kids, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in 1953... Three men enter Ulrich's cell. It's Daniel Conwald and two armed guards. Daniel wants to know where Helge is, and Ulrich isn't going to tell um, because he's afraid that if he does, that Helge will live. So he gets beat up. He gets a really good beating. <laughs> he does. <laughs> I, the man in the tie, you say that is on Daniel Conwald? The one, the third, the main dude that came in. Yeah, the well-dressed guy that said, mm -hmm. you know, where's Helge? I, I didn't know that was Daniel Conwald. I assumed that he was just like one of, um, or maybe he is. I assumed he was one of uh, Burnt's like 
security guard goons from the power plant. No, he's he's the same one we've we've seen. Um, you know, he's the main and he's like Egon's employer. Interesting though, Daniel. Okay, Conwald. So, what relation is he to um to Jonas and and Hannah? Well, he, he's Inez's dad. We we've talked about him before. We have, and but it's um, things are starting to click now, like they didn't click before. <laughs> so I guess it would be Jonas's great grandfather. Jonas's great grandfather beating up Jonas's grandfather. Grandfather. Yeah. Yes, that's what I was trying to get to. Is like these two guys are related, but they don't realize it. Um. Well, Ulrich is on. M- Mikkel's adopted. <laughs> I mean, he's not really, right? Um, well, Mikkel was actually born, though, like as a, you know, from Ulrich and Katarina, the little Mikkel that we know. Well, yeah, but the Cohenwalds and the Nielsens are not related. No, they're I'm just, just saying they, they're they, married. Yeah, they have a direct relation, I guess is what I mean. They have like a Venn diagram that connects these guys. They're, rela- they're both related to Jonas, but it's two different sides of the family. Right. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. 1986, Jonas enters Mikkel's room and finds Noah <laughs> sitting in a chair <laughs> next to the bed. And Noah says, who are you? And, and Noah go- <laughs> does the shushing symbol. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, then jo- Jonas gets drugged. He gets B.A. Baracus. Do you remember who B.A. Baracus is? <laughs> no. <laughs> Do you remember the A-Team, that old TV show from the 80s? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Mr. T played a character, B.A. Baracus, and the only way they could get him to fly was if they took a, a white rag, dipped it in chloroform, and like did this to him, knocked him out, and then he mm. could fly. So <laughs> that's what I thought of when I saw this, is Jonas got B.A. baracus Oh, this is what we need to do with my dad, because he's also afraid of flying. (laughs) It's exactly what you do. I mean, there's also stuff like Xanax that works as well. (laughs) Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah, we didn't really mention that, you know, when Noah had said, Jonas Conwald is our next target. That's right. And we're kind of like, uh-oh, we don't want that. Not Jonas. Uh, We did mention that, because remember I said my stomach dropped, and I I felt a tingle. In the music cued. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I must have missed it. I thought it was a different kind of tingle, not a Jonas tingle. It was a Jonas. I thought it was like a, I thought it was a different type of fear. <laughs> yes. Um, so Jonas wakes up in the blue wallpaper room. No, Jonas. No, I don't like this. I mean, I love this scene. I mean, this is yeah. like, this might be like my favorite scene of the season, perhaps. Because like when I think about dark, I think about this scene more than anything else. So please yeah. continue, because I love it. <laughs> so he calls for help and is answered by the stranger, who's outside the cell, but won't let him out. And the stranger tells him that the machine, and actually the room itself, is an early prototype of the time machine, but they, meaning Helge and Noah, can't get it to work yet. So they keep experimenting on the boys. Right. And Jonas is the latest guinea pig. Um, This room is, and we already kind of suspected this, but it's directly under 
the sick mundus tunnel above the sick mundus so whenever tunnel. what it's above the sick mundus tunnel above the tunnel yeah okay. the sick mundus tunnel runs underneath of the bunker the blue room right okay well they're above or below each other sorry <laughs> above or below isn't that part of that's part of uh Oh. The alchemy. What is above, um, so is below. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the um, when it when the tunnel is opened, energy is released in the room, but it has to be harnessed and amplified. Right. Um, yeah. So he says, "No DeLorean." <laughs> the first <laughs> <I love> that. <laughs> time travel machine is a f room with four walls. Yep. Yeah. I, you know, I've like totally missed that joke until this watch, Steve. <laughs> I've been so focused on other details that I was like, DeLorean totally like went over my head. <laughs> You're like, that's a legit time machine. Yes, that checks. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then we see have the big reveal of the entire season. Yes. That the stranger is Jonas. Yes. And um, he says, Ich bin du, which is a great <laughs> line in German. <laughs> it is. And he not quite it as great. good as, not quite as good as Helga Estement, but. <laughs> 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 well, I think this line is more powerful. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so that, you know, he has to, he can't let him out because he needs to leave him in there. Because he has to go through everything. Right. Jonas has to go through everything he has, which is a lot like that nothing is wasted stuff Noah was spitting out before. Sure, yeah. I mean, it intersects, absolutely. Yeah. And Jonas just begs the stranger, and the stranger is like, nope, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, well, he's not he, all like that. He's, yeah, he seems a little bit sympathetic he does um yeah he was like listening outside and this really reminded me um directly from being a parent and a raising a colicky child um caleb had a lot of colic when he was young so there was a good amount of um you know everything is totally fine but he's screaming his head off for no reason so not screaming his head off. You know what I mean. Baby's crying, but everything checks out. Everything's good. So you leave yeah. him in his crib and you leave him be and let him cry himself to sleep. That's an old method that we used uh, 26, 27 years ago. And it reminded me a lot of this because you would stand outside, you being me, <laughs> would stand outside my son's room while he's crying himself to sleep. And I feel like the biggest asshole in the world because he mm -hmm. doesn't want me to pick him up or anything. So all I can do is just let him go about his business. And I know it's for the good. I know that in the future that my son will be fine and he'll be able to put himself to sleep, but it's really yeah. hard to stand there and hear him scream. So um, Jonas having to sit there and hear the younger version of himself, you know, mm -hmm. beg for help and cry and plead and it's awful. And it's gotta be the, one of the toughest decisions of his life and that he knew he had to come to this point. Something that confused me, um, well, first, something that amazed me is like when he's talking about the energy that's harnessed in this room when the doors are open and they're trying mm -hmm. to like capture mm -hmm. that power. I mean, it's obvious that there's like a lot of energy in this room and a lot of like 
amazing, amazing doesn't always mean good. A lot of amazing things happen in here. And we see a lot of, um, later on when, when we see Charlotte and Peter like embracing in this room, um, I couldn't help but think about the room that they were in while they were doing it, you know, and this is the same room that Jonas sees himself in two different time periods. Mm-hmm. I, I just love the fact that like this spot just has so much like weird energy and history. So that's what amazed me. <laughs> right. What confused me was when older Jonas said something about like, um, the saint where we follow the same path again and again. And he kind of made it sound like, you know, things are happening multiple times, but really everything is just happening once as time progresses. It's just the future is dictating the past, which affects the present, but everything is happening one time. Right. There's more to know in the future. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's like he's remembering how painful this moment was for him. I think is something you you latched onto that yes. it's hard for him. He probably re- he probably can recall exactly yeah. how he felt. Um, this is this is very much like you know it's interesting you mentioned like being a parent. Um, or they say like if you could help yourself, if you could write yourself a letter, Mm. um, you know, what would you tell yourself? Mm -hmm. And I remember like really painful moments and I, but now I realize I made them more painful for myself um, by making really stupid decisions. So yeah, the stranger knows more than his younger self, um, but he's, he's kind of doling out the information a bit at a time. um, When it's like, when I think you're ready, that information i'll tell you that information um but then that kind of assumes like he knows more but does he know as much as the next person um so (laughs) yeah yeah and i guess this gets back to my suspicion with with claudia for instance and noah like they're sort of doing this to like noah's doing it to bartosh claudia's doing it to like peter and and trant you know, she's like, they're deciding, they're orchestrating people. And okay. yeah, so I don't know. I, th- I think it is a cool scene. And um, like Jonas is trying to change the past. The stranger's like, no, you just got to let it play it out. But yet he's <laughs> not, yeah, again, he's not doing that either. He has his own little plan. Um, well, I guess he knows what he has to let play out and what mm-hmm. he shouldn't. Maybe he's like picking and choosing as he goes. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But back back to what you said about the um, about like kind of the loop or whatever. Remember mm-hmm. that the the sick Mundus symbol and the figure eight, the upside down, the infinity. Like is Lou is um <clears throat> is it lean, linear because we've already established that like the past influences the future and the future influences the past right um so that's that, that's one thing I can say sure it just yeah. seems to me like a, like things would happen once and like if they start happening multiple times then that would stop making sense but I guess maybe it will 
maybe our writers will <laughs> will be as good on season two and three as they have been on season one and go that path. I'm not sure. One thing I am sure of is that Helge is a sweetheart because he left out um, some cookies and milk for Jonas. Did you notice that? <laughs> the, those cookies and milk are there, Steve. I'm not sure if they're fresh or not. Uh. They, well, they, they, they just put, they just um, B.A. Baracus Jonas. Jonas wakes up in this room and then there's like milk and cookies and pine cones on the table. So obviously Helge yeah. left that there for whoever he has to kidnap. Uh, okay. So then middle-aged Helge, 1986, driving in a car, waiting at a stoplight. Ooh. He waits for the light to switch. A car swerves out of nowhere and smashes into him. And the song that's playing on the stereo is that yeah. <laughs> weird, weird 80s song. Yeah. And Nina. Um, and the lyrics that were playing said, um, somehow the future starts somewhere sometime. Love is created by bravery, so don't think about it twice. We ride on fiery wheels toward the future through the night. Yeah. That last stanza is what, we, what we're about here. <laughs> yeah. The car smashes into him right after that line, riding on fiery wheels. Um, <laughs> car is driven by old Helge. This is another, you know, another time travely paradoxy mind blower. Great scene. It's played out so well. And I, I will remind you now that like every time when Helge is all like, you have to stop, you have to stop. You know, of course he's talking about Noah, but he also could have been urging his younger self to not go because his older self knows how he's going to die. Um, from this moment forward, when Helge stumbles out of that car, you know, he's always going to know how he dies in that car wreck. So that's what made me think that, that those words had double meaning. What do you mean he knows how he dies? Well... That that old Helge confronted him at his cabin, right? And mm -hmm. said that I'm you. And then he gets in a car crash with that exact same guy. And that guy is the older Helge, and that guy is now dead. So, obviously, Helge is going to grow up and become oh, that you're older saying, guy. You're saying the younger Helge, the younger middle-aged Helge. From this point um, forward knows that knows that he's going to die but does he because <laughs> because he keeps saying i can change the future and the past you know like right well he's, when he's in the home well now we know that when he's repeating those words he's just repeating the words that ulrich was saying to him when he was little because that's the exact words that ulrich was saying to him yeah well that's the, the that's the theory that i posited that doesn't mean that that's yeah, it what? depends on how you're reading that. What? I think you're right about everything. <laughs> <laughs> like, but does he sort of, but does he actually believe he can do something? Or are we saying, no, he's just um, dement and mentally unstable. He doesn't know what he's saying. Um, it seems like he knows that he, it seems like he's trying to change things. That old Helge yeah. is jumping out of his bed trying to change things. Like, yes. I don't, yeah, I'm not reading old Helge being fatalist, like, let me prepare for my death now. You know, I, I'm reading it more like, right. um, I have to stop 
Um, maybe, yeah, he seemed to still think he could change things from happening, just like Jonas. Yeah. So yeah. he's telling his younger self, stop doing all that stuff. <laughs> and also, don't run into, don't let me run into you at the, <laughs> at the stoplight because I'll die. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's been, he was, he's been, he knows that if he's clear, if he's clear in his head, he knows he was manipulated by Noah. So I like to think of him, I like to think of Helge being like, maybe if I can, I can help myself see, I will no longer be Noah's puppet. So even the fact that he takes this action um, makes me proud of him, I guess. Yeah, and I guess maybe old Helge ran into young Helge trying to kill him, to stop him. (laughs) I have to stop, stop myself. Yeah, but instead, like every other character, he just, (laughs) he just, um, solidifies the future. Worse, yeah, (laughs) exactly. Um, so here, Charlotte, you know reads the article about Helge being in a car crash and receives a text from Peter who wants her to come to the cabin. Yep, Peter listened to you and he texted her, so (laughs) good job. (laughs) (laughs) Just send a text, Peter, just send a text. (laughs) Um, So then Noah and Bartosh, oh, because here Charlotte also looked at this picture that said, what does Noah want? And now mm-hmm. we cut to Noah and Bartosh talking in Noah's fancy car. And he shares that stranger Jonas believes he will close the black hole when in fact his actions are what lead to its existence in the first place. And I mm-hmm. guess this is where I started to lose hope, Steve. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, because everybody thinks they can do something to help. And it's like, nope, you can't. We're all stuck. <laughs> um, and Claudia is also working against them. There are two groups trying to control time, the light and shadow. And he assures Bartosh that they are on the light side. Um, I don't agree and, with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Noah warns them about his grandmother, Claudia, and just says, don't believe anything that um, she says. Yeah. So he's trying to say the shadow is like Claudia. And then by default, it must be Peter and Trant and Jonas. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we obviously don't believe that these people are the side of the shadow because we've seen Noah do despicable things and he talks about I think he talks about like how everybody else is like so immoral and awful when like he's the one that's like killing the kids Mm -hmm. yeah he mentions the kids that they were just unfortunate casualties yeah yeah have some compassion dude those were kids with lives I mean come on (laughs) yeah and yeah, Bartosh now has the book in his hands at this point because Noah hands the new-looking book over to Bartosh, who's obviously in 2019 because he's, you know, teenage Bartosh. Mm-hmm. So that means that Trant and Peter kind of have the same version of that book, except for, I guess, an older version or maybe a different book altogether. But I'm leaning towards an older version of that book. Yeah. 
um, does this one have all the pages? I don't know. Yeah. Well, it looks like this one does have all the pages. It looks nice and new. And like you can see, the spine has barely been cracked on it. Mm hmm. Stranger Jonas is in the Sigmundus tunnel at the intersection of the three points. The machine starts working and he looks down at the tunnel and sees the blood and oil covered face of Michael Conwald. Yeah, he thinks, I guess the stranger, we could say the stranger thought here that he might die. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even think about that aspect. Yeah, I guess that's like if he's a possibility. Sit in here and blow blow up um, a black hole. Okay. Yeah, it did, didn't even occur to me. Okay. Like it was sort of um, it could be seen as like a suicide mission almost. Um. So yeah, like sometimes before you think you're gonna die, you see visions or whatever. So I guess I was thinking a bit more of a vision than yes, like that. Yeah. So he's just he sees his father, um, but yeah, it's it's like there's other times where like Jonas is sees visions of Mikkel or he sees um, he sees his father, and this is the stranger who's also Jonas now we know, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> but um, this is a this musical interlude here is with what this is, and we have see we see people in different time zones, right? which is wild. Um, <laughs> Ina's and Mikkel outside their house in 1986. She's welcoming him home, yeah. I guess. Um, Charlotte meeting Peter at the hatch in 2019. Yeah. Finally embracing. Yeah. Um, Katarina's trying to call Ulrich, who's in jail in 1953, building the machine. Um, right, yeah. Doris Ul and Agnes. I'm going to back you up Go a little ahead, bit. Sorry. Yeah, Ulrich was in jail back in 1953, and then Tanhouse right. in his shop in 1953, mm -hmm. checking out the lights too. Yes, yes, and um, Doris and Agnes in 1953. <laughs> the ladies. Hannah in 2019, and here's the gun. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> don't do anything crazy with it, Hannah. I don't trust you anymore. <laughs> Um, we also, there's a couple other people we see too, um, Burned and Greta, um, and then maybe somebody else. Mag I don't know. We see Magnus and, um. Oh yeah. Magnus and Francisca. Yeah. They're watching the Raider candy bar on TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was a commercial of like candy bars dancing around. <laughs> <laughs> I was and, yeah, um, this song is really good and it fits the scene really well. I was wonder I was hoping that I was wishing that Dan Deacon would have gotten the season ender just because I'm a big fan of his, but this song was really good for the scene. And it took me a while to figure out like what year um Stranger Jonas did this in. And judging from the outside of the cave cuz I had to rewind a couple times to figure this out. This is, this is, he's doing this in 1986. Does that seem right to you as well? Because when he entered the um, cave, I didn't see mm -hmm. the caution tape. I didn't see the gate. I didn't see the yellow chair. I just saw like just trees. Hmm. I don't, I don't know. I, I assumed it was 2019, but you, you could be right. 
I assumed um, it was, was 2019. He was too. just in 1986 with Jonas. So that's another right. vote for that time period. Sure, because when they pan up above his head, yeah, Jonas is up there. And the, is the blue and white tape, what year is that? Is that 1986? That was 2019. Okay. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think too much about it. I guess sort of it doesn't really matter. It doesn't. Um, I mean, it kind of does. It kind of does, actually. But <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm going to lean on 86, judging from the ferns and the fact that Jonas is in the blue room above his head. Really interesting, the fact that, like, that makes the most sense, too. He went over there, talked to Jonas in the blue room. You know, you got to stay here. Now I'm going to go around to the other side and go into the cave. Same time period. Mhm. Yeah. But yeah, the the lyrics here are are good like you mentioned. It says maybe this time I'll outwit my past. I thought I have been given another chance again, but heaven lies as usual. I repented but in vain. But he in tries vain to cheat me out of my good aim. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, we didn't mention too. Yeah. He, uh Go ahead. No, you uh you were going to ask about any what? Uh, well, I would just, you said, I, I forgot about, I repented, but in vain. And I was like, yeah, that's like, nothing is in vain. Um, but there in this lyric, it's saying it is in vain. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> again, with the dual perspectives, I suppose, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I guess, a, uh, oh yeah, Claudia. We see Claudia in this thing too. And we see a really mm -hmm. weird Claudia. We see like older Claudia, but it's like, yeah. it's snowing or something. And she has this big gun in her hand. Yeah. Like that. I don't think that's snow. I, cause yeah. we saw it also at the end. Um, Is it nuclear I think fallout it's, or something? Yeah. I think it's like dust, blast dust. I always thought that blast dust was like toxic and could kill you on site, but I guess not. Or who knows what it is. I mean, but it depends on how far how far it's coming in. Like they talked about this in that series Chernobyl. Right. That's um, right. You know, you could you could get so close and have it not be dangerous once you got like to a certain like parameter or area of proximity. Right. Then it was dangerous, but you might still have like residue or debris in the air that's like milling about. Yeah. So I guess this is like Claudia is in that same time frame that Jonas is in, like later in the episode. It just, it, mm -hmm. it looks really out of, out of whack with the rest of this um, episode when we see Claudia there. So it was just kind of confusing for a moment there, but yeah, more stuff happens here. I, I'm not, I'm not going to interrupt you anymore. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's fine. It's not an interruption. It's conversation. Still. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then we are in two time periods at once, 1986 and 1953. Young Helge is in the bunker in 1953. He clutches the Fennec coin and he counts quietly under his breath, which he was doing before, <laughs> like when he was riding his bike mm -hmm. and closing his eyes. And Jonas is in the blue wallpaper room in 1986. And, and one of those portals opens up like we had before and they see each other and touch hands and they're both transported. 
And Helge wakes up in 1986. And so this is actually how Helge got to 1986. Um, the scene, this is, they're repeating the scene that we saw him in when we first saw Helge. Yeah, that answers that question. But then it still doesn't answer the question, like, how does that even make sense? <laughs> because Helge, mm -hmm. middle-aged Helge is also in 1986. Right. Um, but we've already established we can have two versions of something in the same time period. Heck yes, we can. <laughs> <laughs> the two, the two timings, um, the two books, the two uh, Helges. Yeah. I was just trying to like make sense. I was just trying to put, you know, I was just trying to see where Helge, young Helge goes from here. And obviously we don't know. Um, some growing up has to happen. So season two is mm -hmm. upon us. <laughs> yeah. So this, um, before we go to the cliffhanger, um, yeah, about Helge here, what I think I want to say about this is that the, there's this Helge and Noah have been doing these experiments, right, to send boys to the, the future, the past. So they want to find a safe way to transport people from point A to point B or mm -hmm. time, time A to time B. Right. Um, the stranger tells Jonas sort of post <laughs> post haste or after <laughs> the fact that it's the room you know it's this room has all this energy um and how I'm reading this is this event that Jonas and Helge this interaction of them um they have been trying to repeat this this is what they're trying to repeat and um, so Helge is almost like the magical boy or the special chosen boy, you know? <laughs> sure. Um, he makes it from one time period to another. And they're like, okay, we need to, it's kind of like you're doing an experiment. You're like, okay, it worked once. So how can we repeat this again? Oh. Um, so and so they've been trying to repeat this success okay and using which is why they're using only boys um smaller boys and then, and then maybe like somebody died and then they're like well let's try a slightly older boy you know eric yeah to see if he can survive yeah did didn't yeah even, that's that's great okay because I mean, we know it's not necessarily the room. It's really the machine that is, that's doing all the manipulation down there, I guess, from the future. And so, therefore, they think that this room does this. Helge was the first traveler. That's why Noah takes such a special interest in Helge. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, wow. <laughs> I didn't even think about that aspect that, like, Helge is, like, patient zero then in that respect. Yeah, I remember when, um, you know, older Helge says to middle-aged Helge, you aren't the chosen one, he's not the chosen one. Like, Noah has probably told Helge, like, you know, you're special, you know, you are the one that God chose, and mm. you, sent, you survived. Um, so, yeah, and he was looking, you remember he was looking at his picture <sighs> at his yeah. mom's house, like, 
There yep. he is. <laughs> special boy. <laughs> and this explains why Helge, our special boy, <laughs> is um is so susceptible to Noah's bullshit because Mm-hmm. He's traveled through time and he's seen it happen. He had this experience with Jonas when he was young. So he knows there's more to life than just what we see. So he's probably really susceptible to this double talk because he's seen some stuff already. Yeah, and he, you know, he's also didn't get much love and attention and he was mistreated. So, well, sure, um, there's that, but like yeah. when Noah starts talking about stuff like fate and like religion and like big things, like, you know, he can refer back to that experience with Helge. It's like an easy mm-hmm. thing to like, you know, glom yeah. onto. Like, don't you remember? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> You're the guy. God, God chose you right. for this purpose. Yeah. Even though God doesn't yeah. exist in Noah's eyes, but still. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He knows how to manipulate people using that um, world, you know, that concept. So. Yeah, good call there. I like that. Um, okay, so then Helge jumped, uh, Helge jumped 33 years into the future. And so... You know, energy must be transferred. Jonas, um, Jonas does the same thing. Um, he also jumps to the future. Um, you know, he's transported to the bunker again, but it's in a different time period that we've seen, but we didn't know when it was. And it's this future of 2053. Right. And the bunker is like a real bunker again. It's like another war bunker once again. Yeah. And it's got all the pictures with the threat. It's got the murder board. (laughs) Right. That's how we know this is the future from the get go. I was a little confused first watch, like what year Jonas woke up. Mm -hmm. Um, But like the pictures should have given me my first clue. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And he sees a picture of himself to the stranger, which has, which is... That line is done with red cord, red thread. Oh, of course. Um, <laughs> and there's the sounds of fighter planes, and Jonas walks outside to find a bleak landscape. There's no vegetation whatsoever. None. And there's some vehicles that, that drive up, and people holding weapons, and Jonas asks his favorite question, <laughs> what year is it? <laughs> <laughs> and gets a gun butt to the head from this young lady with a scar across her face. Yeah. So how does she know that he's from the past? Because she's like, welcome to the future. How does she How does she know? <laughs> she must have a pretty good sense of belonging, I suppose. Yeah. Well, maybe she's been prepared. Oh, uh, uh, absolutely. Um, I thought that by she... Weird, by like, watch out for weirdos that come. <laughs> yeah, some kind of yellow raincoat and possibly a priest might come by here. So if they do, <laughs> capture them. <laughs> mm-hmm. I thought she looked a lot like um, Francisca, this character, <laughs> yeah. this female character. I see that. Because um, we don't know any of them. I looked at them a whole bunch and these aren't any characters we know at this point, right? Correct. Okay, yeah. So yeah, that was my that was my first thought is that she looked kind of like Fran because at first I thought maybe it was her, but I was like, no, that 
that's that's definitely not her, Steve. <laughs> Get a hold of yourself. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, this is going to lead us into season two, and we'll be entering in some brand new territory for Heather because Heather's never seen beyond season one, and hopefully some of these listeners listen and haven't either. So we'll all be in for some more great stuff. <laughs> this Whoa. show. Hmm. Well, what I'm curious, what happened with um, Heather after season one? Like, why did she stop? Did it not grab her? Yeah, not really. Like, she likes the show. Um, she mm. enjoys watching it with me and talking about it. But I don't think she loves it as much as um, as you and I do. Um, okay. Because if she did, she would have continued watching, I guess. I think the language barrier is a little tough um, from her perspective. Because watching it in German is difficult and watching it in English makes it like, you know, about 5% hokier, I suppose. Heather, you're still okay with me because um, I know you watched 1899, so I still consider you a loyalist. <laughs> she is, and she'll be watching this with me. I mean, I'm going to make yeah. her. Um, <laughs> we do watch some shows separately. Like right now, she's watching Manifest, and I don't really have any interest in that. And I'm watching Servant, which is an amazing show, and she's lost interest in it already too. So, you know, mm -hmm. we diverge at some, at some points. I don't have any closing thoughts yeah. at this point. Um, do you, before we get into our superlatives? I guess overall, I would just say that I think that this is a very strong season overall. You know, we learned about all the four families. We learned the laws of time travel and each of the characters has this central conflict. And I think mm -hmm. we leave season one with this um, this idea that we has been implanted several times, which is um, getting caught up in a story and not interfering versus trying to impose your will upon what happens. Right. And we have these two groups that represent these two different camps. And I guess a question I want to ask you, um, Steve, that I think is interesting is which group do you think seems happier? Um, team, like, leave, hmm. let things, let things, um, <laughs> let things go unravel as they need to, or I can change the past. Whew. And I mean, happiness, happiness isn't everything, but I, I think sometimes it is the secret to inner peace is being, having contentment in what you're doing. Right. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Big stuff. Um, <laughs> I feel a big connection to, um, to HG Tanhouse, especially like in the last two episodes with a lot of mm -hmm. his dialogue, but the central piece of dialogue that I really like is, you know, he, he's, he knows his place and he, he is there to do his part and he is going to allow things to happen. And, you know, life is a puzzle that he can't figure out and he doesn't know why it's even there, but he's a part of it. And so mm -hmm. I kind of latch onto that a lot, onto la that philosophy. Mm. So it kind of sounds like I'm on team, like let things happen as they are supposed to. But mm -hmm. I don't really know what team that is at this point. <laughs> and like, which team seems happier? Like both teams seem really miserable in every respect. Like... <laughs> <laughs> what do, but do they like, okay, so here's who I have on, on which team. Okay. Um, characters like Jonas, Ulrich, and Helge who believe they can change things. Okay. 
but it creates more chaos. And then on the other hand, you have characters like Tanhouse, who you mentioned, Inez, and -hmm. Claudia, that promote the idea of not interfering or trying to impose your will upon what happens. Yeah, thank you for clarifying. Yes, I'm absolutely on team Tan House (laughs) then in that respect. Because, I mean, I, I really enjoy watching, you know, Jonas and Ulrich running around doing their thing. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think they're. I think they are in danger of doing more harm than good. And um, uh, yeah, I'm. I'm on team. Allow things to happen, even though that you know we know <laughs> that some bad things happen. Yeah. Um. I mean, bad things happen to everybody every day. Not to say that's justified, but there. There's no team that's going to always be sunshine, happiness, and nobody's going to die ever. I mean, that team doesn't exist. So I, I would to choose the Tanhouse team above Jonas' yeah. team, one hundred percent. I think that perspective. I just think that perspective is interesting to to think about because I'm I'm the same as you. I think when you're always trying to exert your will and make things happen, that can often be very frustrating. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, that's kind of my default mode is I can be, um, you know, controlling and, you know, kind of like try to get people to understand why they need to do what I think they should do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, at the end of the day, when you can kind of see like Ina's Tanhouse, um, maybe not Claudia, I'm still like, I'm still skeptical of her, but Tanhouse and Inez, I would say both of them have a level of inner peace, like with what's going on with, around right. them. They're not saying like it's all great, but right. they also are like, you know, who am I to decide? You know, maybe um, good can come out of this. And like being um, content, you know, there's a passage in the Bible, sure. being content in all seasons um, that you, you can find no no matter what's going on around you, you can find this. You can find an inner space for yourself to exist that doesn't feel like you're being put upon. And I, I like that idea, but maybe it wouldn't make a very interesting show to have a bunch of people like Kumbaya holding hands. <laughs> so we need the characters like Jonas and Ulrich to liven things up, right? Right. Yeah, we need those kind of people in our lives too to make things happen. Because if we were all passive and just let things happen, then nothing would happen. So, you know, we need both people in the world. So (laughs) I'm sure there's people out there listening that are like, you know, no, you got to make changes. You got to take action. Mm -hmm. You got to, you know, grab hold of your life and grab it by the horns. And you can't argue with that person because they they might exemplify that in their life and make good things happen. People do that every day. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But yeah, from this time traveling perspective. Yeah. I want to, I guess I want to push up one, just about that idea really quickly. Sure. I don't think, um, I don't think that's necessarily being passive. Um, it could, you could do it that way, but there's a way that you can, um, achieve inner peace without being passive, you know? Um, it it doesn't, yeah, I just wanted to like stand up for the, for that concept, but yes, we need people to like move and you know be movers and shakers and to take action i can be action oriented too but i guess like when you're when your sense of happiness and peace is determined by what someone else does and um (laughs) if this is this particular thing happens exactly like i want it to that's a very frustrating um place to exist as well yeah 
Yeah, good call. And Lindsay, I guess instead of, you had a really good idea. Instead of saying who we think is our favorite in this episode, you suggested giving our number ones for the whole season. Because I think it'd be really hard to do both at this point. Okay. Yeah, why don't you go ahead and go? Okay, sure. Uh, would you like me to start with my least? Or I'll, I'll decide that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, there's two, two guys. Yes, two guys. Two white men. <laughs> that have been that have been eyeballing this whole season, <laughs> and um, I chose one for my favorite and one for my least, and I'm going to start with my favorite. Ooh, and okay. now that we know that Jonas is the stranger, and every time we saw stranger, that was Jonas. With with that fact in play. I have to give it to our boy Jonas in his yellow raincoat because this episode, like, like I said, it contains like one of my favorite scenes of this whole show and maybe like one of my top 10 scenes of all time of all shows is the scene where Jonas is meeting himself in the bunker. It just, it brings out a lot in me and I, I just love that perspective and I love the way both guys played it. Both actors played it so well. And my, my other two favorite scenes in this episode were the stranger in HG Tanhouse sitting in the shop nerding out about the uh, time machine, all the clicks and noises and the realization and the conversation. And of course that's Jonas. So one more for Jonas. My third favorite scene of this episode was when Jonas and Helge you know, touched fingers and they, you know, both flipped time through that rip in time. So there's Jonas once again <laughs> showing up in all my favorite scenes. So how can I not say he's my favorite? I mean, he's our central character. He doesn't always, he doesn't always represent my favorite in some scenes. Like I'm really skeptical and kind of like crossing my arms and like, what's up? Like in this episode, the scene with Hannah, when he's like giving her the hug and telling her everything's going to be okay. I thought that was a weird scene. And that didn't, <laughs> that didn't portray my, <laughs> the best of Jonas. Um, but the smile he gave Hannah towards the end sure did. So yeah, I'll, I'll just wrap it up and say Jonas, my boy, the boy of the episode and the season. So okay. with that, I'm going to go to your favorite then, if you don't mind. My favorite character of season one is Ulrich. Ulrich, my man. All right, all right. Is it because he's a metalhead? <laughs> no. Um, Ulrich, yeah. I think just this his whole arc, I just think it's one of the wildest, <laughs> um, wildest arcs of this season. And, and, you know, he makes a lot of questionable decisions, but um, I'm never bored. When, and um, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I think he's also just the person I feel feel like. You know, he really gets the short end of the stick. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, overall, <laughs> with with just um, you know how he's. You know, he goes 
trying to save his son. He keeps getting like screwed over by Egon Tiedemann. <laughs> yeah, his arch nemesis. Yeah. And I just I just like their I think I like their interactions, he and Egon, how there's like this eternal battle yeah. between the two of them at all times. <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna say Ulrich, even though it's not like it's not like I like him. I mean, I've certainly given him a lot of crap this season. Um like he's not he like he's not as uh, hot as as <laughs> as Alexander or um, Magnus. He's not as sweet as Mikkel, mm. but he's the most he's the most fun to watch. Yeah, and he just he goes through a wild roller coaster ride this season, and that's why I'm giving my award to Ulrich. Very cool. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Never a dull moment with Ulrich. He's always something going on. <laughs> always running around doing some scampy stuff. And I told you that there was, there was two men, two white men that I had my eye on this whole season. And I gave one the best mm -hmm. and one the worst. And well, the guy I decided to give my worst <laughs> is also a guy I really enjoy watching a lot who runs around and <laughs> is half crazy and he smashes kids' heads in with rock and that would be Ulrich. <laughs> I put Ulrich as my number one bad guy. Oh no! Because <laughs> I really do like him. I, but I, at the same time, he's so frustrating as a character. And he makes the wrong choices many times. And it seems like the wrong choices he makes like directly affect other people's lives in negative ways. <laughs> so he, he, he seems like a, like a unknowingly bad guy. He doesn't realize these bad tracks he's laying, but he's so great to watch. And I know his, I know his spirit is in the right place too. Like, mm -hmm. I know he's not like an evil person. Like I know he even loves Katarina as well. You can just tell that by his person, but he makes these wrong choices and these big wrong choices. <laughs> so that's why he deserves like my my season ender number one up there with Jonah. And mm -hmm. I'm gonna take a wild guess. No, I'm not even gonna guess who your who your worst is. I kinda have an <laughs> idea of who it is, but Oh geez. Okay. You <laughs> am I that predictable? With, what's that? <laughs> I said am I that predictable? <laughs> I don't know. You've surprised me almost every time. You surprised me with the Ulrich right there. So no, you're not predictable at all. <laughs> oh, okay, good, good, good. <laughs> all right. My least favorite is I feel I feel terrible, but I'm gonna have to give it to Noah. Oh, that's who I thought it was. I already wrote down Noah for you. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> so you are predictable. Okay. Steve, okay, tell me why you thought I was going to pick Noah. Well, um, he makes these big um, speeches <laughs> and he does like the exact opposite of like his speeches. Like, you, you know, he's completely yeah. insincere. Like every word he says is like self-serving. And um, he talks about like immorality when he's probably like the most immoral person we've seen so far. Um, so those are the reasons that I would guess. <laughs> you've, you've done all my work for me. Um, I mean, that's, that's pretty good. But yeah, I mean, I think he's, he's a bully. He, yeah. um, he's misusing the cloth here. <laughs> His oh, religious cloth. <laughs> that's right. Stolen valor. I didn't even think about that ass. It's so obvious, but I never even thought about that. Um, 
he just comes across as creepy and uh, like a bully and he's a liar and he's you know trying to turn Bartosh you know he's yeah. sort of isolating Bartosh um, from everybody he cares about perfect um, I don't know what do they call this when you grooming? you know you isolate somebody from everybody they, he's, like a, um, he's grooming them yeah, grooming him, exactly. He's grooming him. He groomed Helge. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, just, he, you know, he's certainly, again, like, just like Ulrich, he's certainly, like, a, a presence, you know, on the screen. Oh, yeah. Whenever he's there, you're like, you know, the musical cues are outrageous <laughs> for Noah. It's yes. always, like, the best <laughs> musical cues, and he's got that great tattoo and the great chest muscles. Um, well, those are good things about him, though. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, but he's the person that I would trust least with puppies oh, yeah. or children. <laughs> In that respect, yeah, I, I, I would agree 100%. Like, I would trust Ulrich way more than I would trust Noah. <laughs> Yeah, if I was like, if I was gonna like have any of these characters babysit, yeah, my cat or my <laughs> nephew, <laughs> the last person I would choose would be would be Noah. Absolutely, or or maybe Claudia because she's gonna lose your pet. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. Man, I can't wait to see all these guys next season. Um. I don't think we lose anybody. I'm I'm trying to think about the next season and all the characters come back, right? Everybody who's alive anyway. Well, even the dead ones <laughs> come back in some respect. Um, I mean, Michael slash Michael. Right. Yeah, there you go. Oh, I hope we get to see a lot more of, uh, we, we barely got to meet adult Michael and he would be a nice person to get to know a little bit more because we don't know any of like his motives or his thoughts and he's Mickle, so, so we should be loving him. So he'd be a welcome character to get to do more stuff about. Mm -hmm. I also like this scene with, um, you know, young Charlotte. I would like to see some more young Charlotte, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, I guess we will because she's gonna grow up so she, she doesn't die as a child, so that's good news. But rock and roll, Lindsay, I guess we're gonna wrap it up here. Um, we have hit over two hours now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we are going to be back, though, with season two. I think next week we're going to take a break um, from Dark. And James and myself are going to do some Robert Jordan stuff. We're going to recap some Wheel of Time news. And uh, we're going to watch Conan the Destroyer. It's going to be a short episode, probably less than an hour. But then the week after that, we'll be right back with season two of Dark with Lindsay. And... I hope you know by now that you can follow all these recaps along um, online at Win Lindsay's website, which is oneofmystories.com. And she also makes YouTubes of these videos as well. And Lindsay, did you have any closing thoughts for us? Closing thoughts. I hope you will come back for season two and write us some email. <laughs> and uh, that's a sweet child of Sweet child of time pod. Steve, help me out here. <laughs> hey, you almost did it. Sweet child of time pod at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah. 
write us some emails about if you if you're a regular listener we'd like to hear tell us what you like best about what we're doing so we can do more of that um, we'd love to hear your suggestions so we can make sure we are putting out the content you like, even though we think you like our content because you're listening to all of our episodes. <laughs> yeah, right on. Thank you for doing so. And I hope everybody finds water and shade where they're at. And Lindsay, I hope you also find water and shade. Steve, I hope you find water, shade, and a radioactive isotope of your own whenever you need it. Plenty of CS-137. Yay. <laughs> Back in time. <laughs> Thank you, Lindsay. Until next week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs>